0: Mummy, she's dead are the words that Pauline told the woman in charge at the kiosk dead was an understatement to what happened to Honora Parker Reaper had suffered she was severely beaten with the majority of her wounds being to her head in the movies when someone is killed in this manner all it takes is one good hit and they're down and the same would have been true for this instance had they hit her exactly in the right spot Instead, the girls were greeted with a fight for her life. Given that they had thought all it would take is one blow, it's amazing how far they went to guarantee that Nora Reaper would not leave Victoria Park under her own accord. Their plan was that she had fallen and hit her head on a rock on the way down. But when investigators reached Nora's body not too far down the trail, It was apparent that this was no accident. She would have needed to plummet off the side of a rocky cliff to have had these extensive injuries to her head. But a fall while walking? No way. The woman in charge at the kiosk could confirm that she saw Nora, Pauline, and Juliet walk down the trail alone. Is it conceivable that someone was lying in wait for someone to come along for them to attack? Yes, but had that been the case, how did these two girls, one with a pronounced limp and the other with poor lung health, manage to escape without a scratch on them? Highly unlikely. When the news of Juliet Hume and Pauline Parker's arrest made the headlines, the community of Christchurch and New Zealand as a whole were more than shocked to see the faces of two young teenagers. During this time, Women who killed was rare in the world of true crime. But to find two teenage girls being the murderers, it was completely unheard of. Those who read about this crime in their local papers were completely enamored as to what would drive two girls to kill one of their mothers. How do they themselves keep from making the same mistakes? Life as they knew it would forever be different as with the life of both the Reapers and the Hulmes. Welcome to the True Crime Librarian. I'm your librarian and host, Ashley. Tonight, we close out the case that one best-selling author would rather remain in her past. Julia and Pauline's friendship, according to both girls, was nothing more than these two being best friends that wanted to be inseparable. And that desire to have one another in their lives at a constant led to the two killing Honora Parker in an effort to hold on to one another. What neither girl realized is that the plan that they had conjured up was anything but foolproof. And once the investigators saw through it, the murder turned into one of the most infamous cases to shake New Zealand to date. Tonight, We reveal that plan and what happens to the girls once their time is served. Warning, this episode contains graphic detail of murder and adult language. Listener's discretion is advised. If you feel like any of this may be too much for you, please skip this episode or have someone listen with you or for you. Good evening, my true crime nerds. I have just a little bit to get to tonight before we get started. If you are following TTCL on social media or through the YouTube community on TTCL's channel, you know that I have made the decision to scale back some on the show. I want to be perfectly clear. I'm not stopping TTCL for good as of right now but I am going to break that two-year standard of uploading a episode every week. I put a roughly 120 plus hours into one single series here, with research and hours of formatting each episode in that series. If the series exceeds three weeks, those hours increased astronomically. I love researching and learning everything I can find out in order to leave you with no question unanswered, no stone unturned. Many of you know that my health has been a bit of a hiccup with my diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. This can be exacerbated by the littlest thing, not to mention I'm still a mother and a wife. So going forward, I will bring you true crime, but I will not do it with deadlines looming overhead. So bear with me during this time and stick with me on social media to get the latest updates. I'm not gonna sit here and make any promises other than the show is not over. Thank you all for everything that you've given me in the last two years. Thank you for your support going forward from this moment, and I cannot wait to see what the future has in hold for all of us. Enough of all this heaviness. Let's get to what you came here for, the true crime. All right. Last week, we caught a glimpse of Pauline and her life once she was unable to spend every waking moment with Juliet. Not to say one or the other is more to blame, but Pauline had an opportunity to venture out and have relationships beyond Juliet. But the moment the opportunity to continue their friendship presented itself, she was right back into the thick of it, and both sets of parents were slowly starting to question the unhealthiness of this relationship, and they were trying to encourage each girl to live a life without one another. Tonight, these parents' intervention drove the girls to make one deadly decision. On or around the time of July 2nd, 1953, Andrew Bill Perry moved to Christchurch, New Zealand. And some say that Bill and Hilda knew one another before him coming to the island. No matter how these two met or where their love affair started... Around Christmas of 53, Hilda asked her housekeeper and her family, who she insisted live with the Hulmes, to move out so that Bill could move into their um, living space. One day, as the housekeeper was shaking out her duster, she witnessed Bill and Hilda in the, they call it the garden, the yard, kissing one another. Bill had been married prior to the move, but he and his wife divorced and he took off to the island for some work. Bill had friends and colleagues try to talk him out of moving into the Hulme home, all aware of his relationship with Hilda. However, he didn't care. The thought was, if he moved into the Hume home and the affair with Hilda continued, it wouldn't take long before Juliet and her brother caught on to the two, making the secret a very public one. As Hilda and her affair were ramping up, so was the girl's relationship. And now that Juliet was home and the two were spending every moment they could together, this means that Pauline's interest in the exporter was starting to take a back seat regardless of how she actually felt about him. Pauline's mother was starting to take away letting Pauline go to Hume home. It was one thing she used for discipline because it was the one and only thing that her daughter seemed to care about the most. And with each visit that she took away from Pauline, the hatred grew more and more. But neither Pauline nor Julia were going to let that stand in their way of talking with one another. So, if they couldn't see each other in person, the two would call each other and it was often. According to Pauline, Juliet was becoming more and more concerned with how strict Pauline's mother was becoming. So, you know, the more you correct a child, especially in their teenage years, the more they begin to resent you for being too hard on them. Pauline was definitely agreeing with Juliet on how she was viewing Nora and how she was keeping them from one another. There was no doubt that there needed to be convincing of either party. The more these two bonded over their distaste for Nora and their and her choice to discipline. The more Pauline began to pull away from the young man. And eventually her her horse that she loved so much to have. Juliet apparently lost interest in her own horse after she came home from the sanatorium. But Pauline was still working hard to care for hers. But into the summer of 1954, which for those of you who are not aware, that would be around the month of February. Um, if you're in the States, their seasons are opposite of ours. So they were in the summer months in February of 54 when Pauline began to let go of that life she developed while Juliet was away. First to go was the boy. The relationship between the two began to fizzle out at the end of 53, beginning of 54. Pauline finally severed the ties with this boy in February when she left him a letter and all of the books he had lent to her. Next to go was her very beloved horse. Come March of 1954, Pauline was looking to sell the animal, no longer interested in caring or riding him. Both girls were spending more and more time together despite the fact that Juliet didn't return to school and, and the overuse of Nora and her disciplined strategy of taking their time together. Wait, it was it was amazing how much time they did get to actually spend together cuz this is beyond um what you did as a as a teenager with your best friend kind of thing. These two literally were joined at the hip. And by this point the girls were looking at ways to earn money and head off to Hollywood to introduce themselves to James Mason, an actor that the two had decided was one of two gods for them the other god being Guy Rolfe, they would regard Wolf as his and Mason as him when speaking about the two to one another in front of somebody else. The girls were eager to get to Hollywood and start working and help make some of these great movies that both of these actors have starred in to write books that the public would swoon over. They were there to just get famous. And they didn't care what it took to get there. But both realized it was going to actually take money for them to get to the United States. They would have to pay for the passage. They would have to pay for a way to live. They weren't stupid. So on one of the evenings that the two girls spent together alone in Ilum or the Hulm home, they declared a day as He's Day to celebrate Mason and the two dressed up in Hilda's ball gowns and they toasted the actors. During this time, they became quite giggly and just had, you know, what if certain scenarios that they would talk about. And one of them that came up was prostitution. It was what do prostitutes have to do? How much they made? And if the two girls were to be a prostitute, what would they actually charge? And after the joking matter turned very serious, the girls decided that they would become prostitutes in order to fund their travel to America. Both of these girls were young, school age, with dreams that most people would label unattainable, and they were beginning to look at crime as being the best way to raise their, their funds. Many people who get the summary of this crime believe that they went from an innocent childhood into cold-blooded murders. But the life of crime was interesting to them before the plan to murder Pauline's mother came up. What is shocking as is that these two viewed the life of crime as interesting, had yet to even actually perform a petty crime, and so, some believe, based off of just of that summary, they went straight to murder. but that's not true. They are going to start to dip their toes into the waters of the criminal world, and then they are going to make a very large leap and bound with murder. Over the next few weeks. Pauline was striving to keep her mother happy enough that she wouldn't get banned from going to the Hume home. And Hilda's once concern that the girl's relationship was kind of getting too close was now taking a back seat to the love affair that she was having with Bill. With the growth of this this affair, coupled with Pauline's increased presence around the Hume home, it wasn't long before the girls caught a glimpse of that affair. And it happened when Bill, without caution put his arm around the waist of Hilda and she said under her breath hoping that the kids didn't hear but they did, not now the children are here. And they couldn't believe that their meal ticket to America just fell right into their lap. If the girls caught the two red-handed, they would be able to blackmail them into getting them the funds they needed to sell away at the very least, to get them to Hawaii. They would figure out from there how to get the rest of the way. The girls would often go lay in Juliet's bed together for hours into the night talking about their dream and how to obtain it. Now, I want to make one thing clear because I don't know, most people who have sleepovers or their children have sleepovers, nine times out of ten, these kids, especially depending on their age, sleep in the same bed. However, Pauline had her own bed in her own room at the Hume home because they, because of the concern that the, the girls were getting too close, the two were not to share a bed during their sleepovers. But they, they often broke that rule. Um, and Pauline could be found in Juliet's bed 99.9% of the time. Now the housekeeper is coming forward noticing that these girls are spending more and more time together in Juliet's bed. But when night came and the housekeeper went to her new home because she doesn't with the Hulmes anymore, neither Henry nor Hilda had yet to see this for themselves. Hilda, she was hiding an affair with Bill of her own so she was oblivious to the to it all. And for Henry, I'm not really sure how he didn't catch any of this shit going on during his, you know, in his house. He's got a wife sleeping with the man that they're that's now living with them and he's got a daughter who is overly infatuated by her best friend and the only person who might have their shit together at this moment is Juliet's little brother. So, How Henry didn't catch on sooner, I don't know. On April 23rd, Juliet had finally completed step one in their mission to frame Hilda and Bill for the money to travel. For whatever reason, Juliet woke up in the middle of the night and she went to her mother's bedroom and when she found that her bed was empty, she knew that she must be in bed with Bill. So Juliet made her way down to Bill's room and she listened and waited outside the door for a, mo- for a moment. She could hear voices coming from the room, but she needed to listen to make sure that the voice, one of the voices she was hearing was her mother's. And it was. So once she was pretty sure that her mother was in there, she swung that door open, flipped the lights on, and she caught Hilda and Bill in bed together and they were having tea. Juliet and Pauline's intentions of blackmail were revealed that night when Juliet caught Hilda and Bill in bed together. Even though it's reported later that Henry might have been aware of the affair and these three were just going to live as a threesome kind of thing for the time being in, in lieu of divorcing. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. But when it comes to the the plot to blackmail, it makes sense why it doesn't go any further than Juliet catching Bill and Hilda in bed together. Now, Juliet does claim that Bill gave her a 100 pounds to help pay for passage to America, but he adamantly claims that this did not happen. He didn't give her anything and when Hilda revealed her affair to a dear friend, her she started to see her friends pull away. But before they pulled completely away, Hilda was t- able to talk to one of them and tell them how she was concerned that Juliet had caught them in bed together, claiming there would be serious trouble with her daughter knowing about the an affair. So, it, you know... If the rumors are true and Henry knew I wouldn't see why Hilda would be so concerned. So it doesn't to me it doesn't sound like Henry knew anything. He he sounded he sounds like he's pretty oblivious to it all. And Juliet's only 15, you know. She doesn't know how to properly blackmail someone and therefore that's why it didn't go anywhere. Shortly after Juliet caught her mother in an affair, Henry sat down Juliet and Pauline and informed them that not only were he and Hilda going to divorce, but that they would be traveling to South Africa, Italy, who knows other places as a result to it. So that the girls' travels to America, although ambition were just simply not going to happen. And this was a shock to both of the girls. But it also meant that Juliet and Pauline may never see each other again. And if they didn't figure something out fast, this was going to end. And we're both very much of this uh, phrase that they like to use, we sink or we swim together. Well, with light of this news and Pauline's outlook on her mother and and that controlling way she kind of had, it all changed. The two would argue and say things to hurt one another, but in Pauline's journal, it's almost as if Pauline planned each of these negative interactions with Nora in the weeks leading up to her death. On her journal entry dated April 28th, she wrote anger against mother boiled up inside me as it is she who is one of the main obstacles to me. If she were to die and then she left the line for interpretation. The following day after the declaration in her journal, Pauline and Juliet went to the movies to watch Dangerous Crossings. And Let me just stop right here and say that these two Went to the movies so frequently, I'm not sure that they ever missed a new one hitting the theaters. They they were absolutely obsessed with them. But back to what we were saying, they went to the movies to watch Dangerous Crossings. And even though the two were close and, and told each other everything that popped into their heads without a filter pauline had kept her admission for her desire for her mother's death a secret for a little while she had not yet settled on maybe the method in which she would kill her or you know how how it all would go down what she did know is that she didn't want to she didn't want to put a whole lot of effort into killing her mother as it would cause too much of a trouble. She wanted it to look either natural or accidental. Her mother's death couldn't look like a homicide. And because of this, she was just not ready to reveal her decision. However, the following day, after seeing the movie, she thought, well, maybe Juliet can help me iron out all these details. And together, they could come up with a, a, a logical plan. But instead of waiting until she saw Juliet in person... The two discussed the feat for nearly two hours on the telephone ending in an agreement that the death does need to happen but not violently on the next overnight stay at the Humes Hilda showed Pauline a ring that she was given by Bill Perry during and during her gushing words about this whole ring and the future for the Hume family Hilda kind of says something that could be misinterpreted into um, an invitation. She said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were all back in England? Do you think you would like England, Gina? Now remember, Gina is the name that Pauline insisted on everyone calling her. And when she asked Pauline this question, it genuinely excited her. She felt as though This was her official invitation to move with the Humes. The girls would later decide that their desire to go to Hollywood, although their dream was too far-fetched for this this moment in time. So for, for now, the two would go to South Africa for some time, allowing Dr. Hume to find a job and a home before the girls would travel back to England. The rationale was that both of their favorite actors, him and his, were both english so at some point surely they would come home to visit england making the move the most logical for the time being because even in england they could still run into these two two actors on may 21st the two girls went shopping together and although they really did make some legitimate purchases in town their desire to break the law went over and the two begin shoplifting from the stores that they were going into. Uh, Later Pauline would boast in her journal that by the end of the day they were virtually pros at shoplifting since neither of them got caught. And if you look at it most people are pretty lucky when it comes to their first time stealing. They take extra measures in knowing their surroundings and who's paying attention and who's not and You know, where's a secluded area, this, that, and the other. All of these extra precautions, they're they're vital in order to get away with it. But as the person settles in and they feel comfortable in their maneuvers and how they swipe things, that's when the mistakes are being made. And those are the ones that lead you to getting caught. Now, this is something you hear time and time again in life. Not necessarily pertaining to crime, pertaining to murder, stealing. It pertains to everything. Yeah, you can wash the dishes a thousand times over, right? But eventually, there will be a dish that gets past you that's dirty. Even though in your mind, you you know you cleaned it, right? Well, that's because over time, that repetitiveness gives us confidence and in, in our muscles' ability to remember the the maneuvers and we have it down and how dare the dish still be dirty when I'm done with it, you know what I'm saying? So it's something that can be portrayed in a lot of things in life. Cause you just, it de- just depends on where you need this piece of advice. But that is why I think that they were very successful in... in Shoplifting that day is because it was their first time. So now that the girls have tried to blackmail Hilda and Bill and they're talking of murdering Nora, they think they can just go and do what they want without any consequences. This is the level of thinking that becomes very dangerous for people like Julia and Pauline. That feeling of being untouchable is a dangerous one in the minds of the wrong people. Dr. Hume decided his previous plans of leaving the university were just not going to work out as well as he'd hoped. So he wrote and requested to move up his resignation to July of 1954. This meant that Juliet would be going to live with a relative in Johannesburg in South Africa. Juliet went to Bill asking him about what the price of airfare would be from New Zealand to South Africa. And he told her, you know, he figured it would cost somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 pounds. This was great news. The two girls had already saved nearly 100 pounds. So the last 50 should be easy enough to get. On Pauline's 16th birthday, May 26th of 1954, she decided that she was going to steal that last 50 pounds that they needed in order to pay for her plane ticket. But first, she needed a touch of liquid courage. So she sipped on a glass of apple wine as she was kind of writing about in, you know, her novel. And once she felt like her courage was sufficed, she set off to Christchurch. And she took the keys to her her father's shop. And she headed down to Colombo Street, where it was located, with the intent to break into the safe... But her plane was full when she noticed there was quite a few officers around the area keeping an eye on things. As in the recent days prior, there had been a string of burglaries in the area. So Pauline ended up going back home empty-headed because she couldn't steal and break into something right there in front of cops. On June 3rd, the university said farewell to Dr. Hume as his new resignation date was approved. He was awarded a handsome payout for his retirement, in which having this party of bon voyage and handing him this, you know, very cushiony payout for his retirement, it was a little hypocritical of the university as not just a year prior. They told him it would be his best interest to find a new job while he was away to England and America. All of this for a man they practically forced out the door. Whose marriage had imploded and his daughter's strange relationship with her friend. You would look at Dr. Henry Holm and you would put a label on him as a very unlucky man at this point in time in life. Following this, Dr. Hume received an anonymous letter stating that they had seen his daughter Juliet and her friend shoplifting not long ago while in town. For Henry, this was extremely upsetting. But Juliet managed to convince him that it had just been some sick joke that somebody was wanting to play on her and, and, you know, she would never do such a thing. When she went to tell Pauline about the letter, Pauline said that, she already knew about it as if she'd already read what juliet was going to say the thought that the they were so close now was coming up because they could read each other's minds well it, it they weren't telepathic and so but they used it and they used it to define that they were stark raving mad the mad part probably true giving their actual crime But nevertheless, from this point on, they were like, we're crazy. We're telepathic. There's nothing anybody can do to stop it. So they just started acting out in their own life and doing and saying as they pleased. As this thought of being mad began rooting itself deep in the girls, their land of imagination grew by leaps and bounds. So much so that they decided that each girl would write their own opera. And then they would begin working on movies that they would want to put together once they got to England. They were going to create this dream, whether it be in Hollywood or a different country. And as the girls lay together in Juliet's bed, they decided to start this list of saints. So I told you that they had gods. And they were two actors. Him and his. uh, Rolf and Mason. But now they're starting to put together. This list of people. these list of saints. That. If ever given. The power. These are the people that would survive. The longer their mad state grew the longer this list grew noticeably missing however were both girls parents in june of 1954 pauline visited the humes for an entire week and each day that week there was a different topic that the girls would harp on and that would be the only thing they would do that day and their bond to one another had wound itself so tight it was virtually on its way of snapping. The last day of Pauline's day was the day they began planning how to put Pauline's plan of killing her mother into action. Following the reapers picking their daughter up from the Hulme home, that she was, they noticed that she was far brighter than she was in the days leading up to this day. They say that she sat with family in front of the fire. She was working on her opera. And and everyone was getting along. What the Reapers didn't know is that their life was on the verge of changing completely. And their daughter would be one to blame. Pauline knew that the time had come to kill her mother. Nora's ill humor, her nagging, her stupidity, her small-mindedness, all of this... Pauline had reached her tolerance level for it all. So Pauline began listing her transgressions one by one, starting with her mother's plan that drove a wedge between Pauline and the border that she fell in love with. And from there, each one that she ticked off was only just one step closer to the fate. Nora's nagging seemed to rise to the level of daily occurrences. Um, We had talked In the last episode about Pauline and her bulimia. And it was becoming to the point that Nora was demanding that Pauline put weight on. She had had it with her daughter's shrinking frame. If she was a good person, then she would eat like she's supposed to. She would put weight on. And, and, you know, if, if you would just do this for mommy, then... You, might can just go see that boy that you know you you wanted to see, and I wouldn't let you see. However, if you refuse, well then um, you can't go over to Juliet's and hang out. And she did this until her daughter bent to her own will. At the Hume home, Juliet's parents began noticing how. Her body would respond to Pauline leaving. Following one of their overnight stays. And Pauline going home. Juliet would become very ill. To the point that she wouldn't get out of bed for days on end. When she did finally get out of bed. She demanded 100% of her mother's attention at all times. It was as if. Juliet was starting to develop an allergy to Pauline's absence. If you looked at this relationship from the beginning and the two very different lives that these girls led, many would say that Pauline's desire to keep Juliet close was far more rooted than that of Juliet's. Pauline benefited greatly from her friendship with Juliet, and with that, these and with the two using the Hume Home more than the Reapers, Pauline was starting to get a taste of their lifestyle versus her own, and she loved it. However, the tables turned. Following Juliet's release from the sanatorium, she began to depend on the company of Pauline as much, if not more, than Pauline herself. This combination of desire is where this friendship crosses the line for everybody involved but neither family realized the harm that came from tolerating their desire to not be separated. They missed the very brightly lit, large red flags that were coming their way. Honor's fate was sealed when Hilda began encouraging Pauline with the notion that she should travel with Juliet to South Africa in an effort to keep Juliet happy and occupied so that she was pretty much free to do what she wanted to do with her time, which was she wanted to spend it with Bill. Henry took it one step further. He claimed he was willing to pay for Pauline's airfare to South Africa. But Pauline knew that her mother would never go for it. So the only way to make sure that this happened, let's remove her from the equation. Some think that Henry was just agreeing to the girls' relationship to keep them happy and, and hopeful. But in reality, the chances of this actually happening were slim to none. According to Pauline, he even agreed to write Nora with the proposition of Pauline joining Juliet. Hoping that he could smooth the whole idea over before she made any definite decisions. In reality, Dr. Hume never wrote her. He was only saying these things to keep the girls as calm as he could given their recent behavior of being mad. According to Hilda, following Nora's murder, she and Henry made it quite clear to both girls that Pauline would not be accompanying Juliet to South Africa, saying it was absolutely out of the question. The recount between the girls, their journal entries, and that of each set of parents shows us a very muddy recount of everything. I'm always saying there are three sides to every story. In an effort to know the truth, which is one third of the equation, we have to, to splice the words of the other two parties and, and look at the evidence and see where things contradict and see where things line up in order to put together that third part. Pauline's journal entries were probably elaborated. Um they were padded, they were <laughs> not padded. They were um she kind of just oversold things when she wrote and, and stretched the truth. I I would say more free, more frequently than she actually did tell the truth. So We have that, and then we have the recount from coming from way too many people, so it's really hard to kind of get a a clear picture on this friendship and its intentions. However, at this point, what we do know to be true is a died. Well, with the plan of killing Honora in full effect and the fast approaching deadline, the girls decided Nora's death should most definitely be an accident and that it needed to happen rather quickly so that Pauline could leave with Juliet and Henry um, when they set sail. So on June 19th of 1954, there was the final nail hammered into Nora's coffin The process that Pauline could have been in at this time, she needed to obtain, okay, so she had to have a passport in order to make the trip from New Zealand to South Africa legally. Knowing her mother and her reservations about the whole situation, there was no question that she would say no. And now there was no question how to bypass her and go to her father for the decision, which she was more confident that her father would give it to her if her mother was not in the picture. So, with the offer of airfare to be paid by Dr. Hume, the only thing she really needed was her passport. And the only person standing in her way of getting that passport was her mother. So, the final nail was hammered in, and Juliet and Pauline would murder Honor Parker Reaper and make it look like an accident. Surely, these two girls, who viewed their capabilities of such high level, could definitely pull this off. The plan was the two girls would persuade Nora to go on an outing with just the two of them to Victoria Park and from there they would take a walk down one of the many trails. Pauline would carry in her shoulder bag a very heavy sandbag and Juliet would walk ahead of Nora and Pauline where she would just greatly drop a stone on the ground and when Pauline pointed it out to Nora the girls would wait for her to bend down to pick it up and Pauline would hit her mother over the head with the sandbag and she would die. Well, let's let's take a look at this plan, okay? Getting Nora to go on an outing with the girls was probably a good bet, as the girls frequently spent their time with the Hume home and not at the Reapers. So in itself, it could have been a treat. Walking the trails in June in the middle of winter may pose a problem depending on the weather. But nevertheless, let's say they managed to get that far, okay? My concern lies with Juliet and Pauline using the ruse of a random one in a million stone showing up in the middle of a trail, not hitting in its surroundings, not camouflage, clean stone laying there looking very much out of place. Well, with Juliet walking ahead of them to lose the phone... I mean, with Juliet being ahead of them... Then you find in a stone that it's not camouflaged to its surroundings. It, it's definitely just been placed there. I would say that Nora's not that dumb. <laughs> but nevertheless, she probably still would have been over to pick it up. So then we go into their murder weapon of choice not saying that the heavy sandbag isn't capable of killing a person If they were to swing that sandbag In a certain way And you couple that with the force of the swing And the position in which they hit her It definitely could be a deadly weapon But there is, in my opinion, too much being left up to chance However, both girls decide this is the plan and it would be the one they would use. But given one slight change. That murder weapon that we're leaving way too much up to chance with. We're going to have to swap that out. As their date of choice creeped closer. Pauline was unusually cooperative when it came to her mother's request. It it was important that Pauline maintain this. As you never know if she would be forced to cancel the outing as a result of the daughter's unruliness. So on the Monday, July 21st, Pauline, who had been compliant with her mother, joined her for the morning chores in which she would bring up the the fact or the proposition that the three of them would go for a picnic the following day in Victoria Park as a way of sending Julia Juliet off on her way come July. Nora found the idea perfect, and with the notion that Juliet would soon be gone from her daughter's life, she agreed to the outing. Their plan was in full swing. When Juliet called that day, the two girls went over their plan one more time to ensure that everything went as though they wanted. It's during this phone call that the two would decide to use a brick instead of a sandbag. One blow with a harder, heavier object should surely do the trick. Then, when they ran for help, they could say that Nora had slipped and fallen on the trail, hitting her head on a rock on the way down. Juliet would bring the stocking to put the brick in for them to swing. And she removed the stone, the gem that she's going to drop, from one of the old brooches. Their plan was perfect in their eyes. Juliet told her mother that she had been invited to go to Victoria Park with Miss Reaper and Pauline the following day, and Hilda was all too pleased to allow her daughter to go. So Mr. Reaper came home for lunch on that Monday. He was greeted with a very happy wife who who was gushing about the change in tone with their daughter. Things were looking up with Juliet's departure just a week or so away. They were hopeful that their once darling child was returning to them now that Juliet would no longer be in the picture. Pauline went to bed early that night, writing in her journal that she felt very keyed up as though she had been planning a surprise party. Her mother had fallen for each lie and happy moment that Pauline gave her that day and in Pauline's eyes she was a fool. She did finish with the next time she wrote in the journal Nora would be gone and Pauline and Juliet would be free to leave New Zealand together beginning their life they've been dreaming of. On June 22nd, 1954, Pauline couldn't help herself. When she woke up, she wrote one last time in her journal prior to her mother's death about her excitement for the day of the happy event, is what she called it. There was no concern, no guilt coming from her based off of her journal entries. As a matter of fact, she had treated the night prior as if it was the night before Christmas. On Juliet's way of leaving Illum, she picked up a brick from a pile that was close to her, her garage. It was a broken brick. Um and when Hilda was asked to kind of describe what Juliet was like that morning after the murder, Hilda and Bill both described Juliet as happy and calm about the day she had planned ahead of herself. Dr. Henry dropped his daughter off at the center of town for her to do a touch of shopping before uh, heading over to the Reapers for lunch. Once at the Reaper home, Juliet and Pauline went up to her bedroom where they would unwrap the brick from the paper that Juliet had, had wrapped it up in to carry in her shoulder bag. They dropped it into Pauline's old school stocking, tying it at a knot around the ankle to keep the brick from moving around as it slung in the stocking and they put the brick inside of Pauline's shoulder bag the Reapers and Juliet they all enjoyed a nice lunch together and the girls were again unusually happy then Nora, Pauline and Juliet traveled to Victoria Park where they would stop at the tea kiosk to enjoy some buns and cakes and soda and tea Mrs. Reaper chatted with the woman in charge, and the girls were almost too quiet. But nevertheless, there was no telltale signs that they were up to anything given anything, even with Pauline's weighted-down shoulder bag. Once their tea time was over, the three began walking down a zigzag track into Victoria Park. But only after about a quarter mile down into where the foliage grew denser, And the ground grew muddier. Nora decided she was not going to go any further. The girls walked along a little bit more. Probably discussing what to do next now that she wasn't willing to go any further. Before they turned around and the three of them began walking back. And this time they walked back in the way they planned. Juliet walked in front of Pauline and Nora where she was able to drop the stone. She then called out for Pauline and Nora to come look and see what she had just found. As Nora knelt down to see what Juliet had found, Pauline, who had been behind her, swung the brick that she removed from her shoulder bag as her mother's attention was elsewhere. Her swing was hard and it drove the brick into her mother's squall. As anyone else would have done, Nora yelled out and she covered her head with her hands where the brick had just hit her. Pauline swung again and again, but her mother was not going down without a fight. So together, Pauline and Juliet pushed Nora the rest of the way to the ground where Juliet would take the stocking from Pauline and strike Nora again and again. Blood sprayed everywhere as head wounds tend to be extremely bloody, giving their vascular anatomy in the skull. Nora would outlast the stocking. The brick would fall free from that and roll off. So Juliet let go of the stocking and she reached down, grabbed Nora by the throat, and began beating her head into the ground. At this point, Nora was far weaker in her fight than she had it been in the beginning. Pauline went and picked up the brick that had broke free, came over to Nora and began hitting her in the forehead over and over again. Nora kept her fight up until the injuries became too much for her body, and she slipped into a seizure. The girls then tried to drag her body so they could roll it off the trail to reinforce that this was an accident, but at this point, Nora's body was, was dead weight and it was too much for the girls and they were only able to move her a few feet before they gave up and decided to go back to the tea kiosk for help. The pathologist who observed Nora following her death counted 45 external injuries to Nora. 24 were lacerations to the head and face, some of which hit the victim so hard that they damaged the bone below. Nora had extensive fractures to her skull, several of them, serious enough to cause Nora to go unconscious. 20 to 30 of these injuries were strictly from the brick itself. When the news of Juliet and Pauline's actions made headlines, the professor that the college began regretting in hiring the year before was even further shunned from the community. He would take his son and return to England, sure that his daughter would be convicted of the crime, even though there was talk of the two being insane. Bert, even though he was grieving for the loss of his wife, made sure to organize legal counsel for his daughter. The very one... To take this beautiful wife away from him. Had the girls' insanity pleas been accepted by the courts, it is by law, even to this day, that they would have remained indefinitely within the mental institution. However, due to the age of the girls, if found guilty, they would be sentenced to imprisonment pending Her Majesty's pleasure, meaning until authorities decide to release them. In order to keep this crime from taking the future away from each girl, the courts rejected their pleas of insanity. And this is the best outcome any of them could have asked for. On August 23rd of 1954, Juliet and Pauline stood inside of a courtroom as the details of their life and crime came to light to all of those who attended. On August 28th, both girls were convicted in the murder of honora parker reaper august 30th 1954 both girls were sentenced to be detained at her majesty's pleasure in november of 1959 both girls were released from prison pauline would serve six further months on parole juliet was free to leave the island and she began a new life in sydney australia Pauline needed to show residencies and work to the court for the following six months. There is a rumor that the following stipulation was conditional on their release, and that was that neither girl would be allowed to contact the other. However, the judicial system stated after their release that neither girl was given such condition upon their release. Nevertheless, neither girls have spoken to one another since their release. Today, both women are still alive and well as far as we know. Both had chose a new identity and built their life from there. Juliet, as we all know, is the very talented author Anne Perry and is residing in England. She took her stepfather's surname and built a life apart from the one she lived for a short time in New Zealand. Pauline lives under the name Hilary Nathan in a quiet village on the southeast side of England. For the large part of life, it has been quiet and peaceful for Pauline. It's not known if those in her life now are aware of her past. However, I can imagine that they are living blissfully unaware of what she has done. And Perry has asked for her past to lie where she left it. Guilty of the crime? Yes. Yes. But she served her time and has worked feverishly to be judged for her contributions now versus then. I want to thank you all for joining me tonight, especially on the heels of the news of the show Scaling Back. Please remember that this isn't goodbye or even see you later. This is see you soon. As always, I leave you with one last line. Why can't I be judged for who I am now, not who I was then, Anne Perry. Much love, and until next time, the True Crime Librarian.